going to introduce uh, Ronan Lyons. I'm delighted to be joined by Associate Professor of Economics at Trinity College, Ronan Lyons. Uh, Ronan is a highly regarded academic with the deepest knowledge of the Irish housing market. He is a regular contributor to The Currency. Uh, he also authors the daft.ie rental report and um, happily he's a member of the Housing Commission. So um, when he's not here in his capacity as a member of the Housing Commission, he is here in his capacity as commentator on the market, an active commentator on the market. So Ronan, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Morning. Good to see you again. Good morning. Good. Um, so I think actually there's so much to talk about in terms of um, there's so much and this is a you know it's a, it, the media are all over this topic in, in various guises. Last week we had some very good news in terms of the government announced that they had hit their numbers largely for 2022 in terms of completions. However, some leaked reporting from the Housing Commission is talking about us needing much bigger numbers. Where do we sit in terms of how, what are the numbers? What do we need in terms of housing product? And what's your views? Yeah, I mean, I think, and, I'm, and I and I understand the, the, the political side of things. It, people are there to do a job and they have to then face the electorate in a couple of years' time. Uh, and so I'm very sympathetic to that. But we shouldn't, I think, mistake what is possible right now with what we need. Right? They're two slightly different things. And, and if we, as we have been as a country, stuck at building... No more than twenty thousand homes for a number of years, uh, and it was between fifteen and twenty thousand for five or six years. Um, but the true number is significantly greater, probably between forty-five and sixty thousand homes per year. We should at least know that, rather than have a target of thirty thousand, and then reach thirty thousand. We oh, job done. When when the job is done, as in okay, we've managed to get from fifteen to thirty in the space of a couple of years, but now we need to do the same again, get from thirty up to forty-five. I think. That's not to take away from the achievement of the, and it's it's not just the government. It's the I mean the government set the target, but it's the the whole sector and system has uh, come together to to make thirty thousand new homes um, last year, and that is a big achievement. And in fact, that is probably even more of a reason now to pay attention to the true targets. If we were able to go from twenty to thirty thousand homes um, in the space of a year, then going from thirty to forty thousand is less of a pipe dream. Now, I don't think that's actually going to happen this year coming for all the reasons that we've been we're talking about and we can go into in, in more detail. But to, the short answer to your question is, when you look at where the country is going to be mid-century, likely in terms of population and household size, we probably need between forty-five and 60,000 homes per year, every year for the next 30 years. And in terms of producing that information, and bringing it to the right uh, ears, are the policymakers hearing that message? Do you think? I mean, that's that's a tough one to say. <laughs> Somebody like me has has been working with the same numbers as in trying to bring that perspective and say where would we need to be by mid-century. So I have been working with this, and others have as well, for maybe five, six years. Um, and there are certainly parts of the system that do not want to hear that message because they're like, well, look. If we can't reach 30,000, what's the point in saying 40 or 50 or 60,000? It really doesn't matter. We have to get to 30,000. And in some ways, as I was just saying, 2022 is like, okay, well, we did that. Now let's think about what the true number is. Um, but I, certainly from my interactions with the politicians, is that like, just tell us what has to be done. Tell us how, how many we need. So I do think there's a receptiveness at, in the right parts of the system to, to, to find out what the true answer is. Because ultimately, it might have been different five or six years ago, but I think every senior politician knows now that they will be judged first and foremost on how they handle the housing situation at the next election. So have we reached a point now where the government needs to step in and build homes? So 
when people say that, it's a question of what they mean exactly. And I think to some people, when you say that, they're like, okay, so the government is going to hire the bricklayers and so on and, and start getting it and building homes. We do have the LDA, the Land Development um, um, Agency, and, and that is effectively the state building homes. Um, now, we also have the local authorities, Dublin City Council in, in particular, but others as well, that engage in construction projects. They are the developer and they, they hire a contractor. Um, now, th- there's, there's research over the last while, um, and I should say um, I, I, I was involved with it, but it, it's, it's public now, that the, for the City Council's projects, um, the cost per home is not less than, but it's actually more than if it buys turnkey from, um, from, from private construction. So there may be very good reasons for that, but it's not like there's an easy win in, oh, well, if we just ramped up the, the local authorities or, or, or state construction. That's not to say that the LDA shouldn't be building, but that's probably the most efficient way to, to have one agency that gets the experience in dealing with difficult sites and building in homes, where they're building in areas rather, where there are already communities. Because the private sector is very good at building on greenfield sites and is getting better at building on brownfield sites. But the sites that the government um, is going to have disproportionately are going to be what you might think of as tricky sites. They may have past use issues or they may be in areas that have um, suffered in, in, in any number of ways over the last while. Okay. So when we look at, you know, the reasons why we have the lack of buildings, you know, coming down the line in terms of, you know, where, how we've gotten to this point before we start looking about where we might go in the future. Is it just down to the planning system or, you know, are there, are there you know, structural reasons built into our system that we can't surmount? I think the, the, there are, an, it's never just one thing. So, like, so I, I teach in the Industrial Revolution is the biggest topic in one of my modules. And it's like, why did the Industrial Revolution happen? And everyone wants it to be one reason why. But actually, it's probably a combination of five or six things that meant the Industrial Revolution happened and we all have the standard of living we do. And when you look at the, um, the Irish housing system, why are we in the position we are in? I would say there's at least two or three main contributory factors. One I would I would um, highlight is one you mentioned. The planning system we have, some countries have a zoning system, some countries have a planning system. We have both, and we have seemed to have embedded both into the legal system now. So we have this kind of three-way um, approval process. Um, so the zoning comes along, and in some countries like Denmark, once it's zoned, as long as you're meeting the rules, away you go. And people in the area know that the zoning is setting the parameters, and that's that. Other countries have this discretionary planning system. We have that as well. Um, so on any individual project, you can make observations. And now we have a system in the last five years where even if that decision goes against you, you can take it into the courts and, and hope it gets stopped some other way. Um, and I think we really need to at least go from three down to two and ideally go from two down to one. But be like other countries. It doesn't have to be zoning or planning, but let's pick one and do it well and learn from other countries. If it were to, to me, I'd pick a good zoning system and, and, and that allows the medium to long term and construction to happen. But that is not to say that the only reason we're in the position we're in is because of uh, the, the zoning and planning stuff. Because, as I mentioned, that legal thing really only happened in the last five years or so. Um, the, the other main issue, I think, is viability. It's really expensive to build in Ireland relative to our own incomes and compared to other countries. Why that is, well, I can tell you how it evolved. I may not be able to tell you how to fix it, but ultimately it came from, we were a cheap place to build into the 1990s and by the 2000s we were an expensive place. And what happened is 
um, many people watching may remember the Section 23 reliefs. When they came in, they supercharged demand in the late 1990s in a way that fed through into a system that was very capacity constrained. The thing about costs going up, they can go up easily and it's very hard for them to come down. So costs went up and they never really came down after 2008. They weren't that important when there was loose credit. It didn't matter that costs were high because you could just borrow against them. Um, uh, but then after 2008, prices came back down to a level and that is sort of consistent with economic reality, but costs stayed up high. And viability is that price to cost relationship. And for nearly 15 years now, that's been out. How do you fix it? That's really kind of line by line going through everything. Certainly, as per the poll at the start, um, a VAT cup would help. But that's masking the, well, sorry, it's not masking the solution. It is, it's giving a quick solution to a structural problem that's emerged over the last 25 years. Okay. So when we talk about then the housing shortage that we're experiencing now, how long term do we think that is? Or to think of it another way, where could we be in 15 years time? I think understandably, a lot of people view the the crisis we're having currently or the, the extreme shortage, in particular extreme shortage of, of rental, both market and social rental housing, as a product of the bubble and crash. And of course, there are parts of it that stem from that. Indeed, I was talking about costs there being in some way driven by the, the, the bubble. But if we had never had the bubble and crash, we could still be in a place in 2023 that is as dysfunctional um, as as it is now. And the, what, the reason I say that is because ultimately what's going on here is that for 150 years, going back to my economic history, for 150 years, Ireland did not have a business model from the 1840s to the early 1990s. There was nothing we did that was excellent on the world stage that meant that we could grow jobs and therefore grow our cities. Our population was falling or stagnant for those 150 years. The single European market has given us a business model and we have taken it with both hands and run with it. But Dublin is no bigger, and I don't think necessarily people realise this, Dublin is no bigger as a share of the total of Ireland's population now than it was in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, so we have successfully capped our cities from growing in terms of their housing stock, even as we have shifted from a rural jobs system, agriculture, into an urban jobs zone, in particular tradable services. And when you make that switch, you have to allow your cities to grow. And we have not done so. And I think that um, that means that going back to your question, it, it's quite possible that if we don't do the right things now, we will still find ourselves in a very challenging position 20 or 30 years from now. One of the commentaries I wrote for the Daft Report a while ago now was, are we, are we 25 years into a century-long housing crisis? And that was the idea, was that we, we need to really get on top of uh, and this is not a challenge that's unique to Ireland. Many high-income um, cities in uh, across the world have some version of this problem. I think it's just particularly acute in Dublin where we have very strong demand and very weak supply. Lots of places have a mismatch. Our mismatch is just particularly strong. Okay. So when we look at, because what's so interesting is that you have done so much research across this for for a, for a prolonged period of time. So I'm wondering, are there measures that have been introduced in other jurisdictions to tackle housing supply issues that we should be grasping now that we're not? I think um, we, we've touched on one earlier, is that the, the way we use land, if, if, we have, if we effectively make 
when you think of it like an empty site is an empty site. It, there's no industrial process required to turn it from an empty site that was being used for agricultural or no reasons into one that's ready for development. In most cases, it's the same thing. But we have made a new industry that will come along and convert it from an empty site that is owned agricultural to one that you can actually get builders on the next day. But that is now a thing and it takes time and it adds value. We need to, with all due respect to the people who do that intricate process now, we need to get rid of that process and go back to not saying it's a free-for-all, but go back to as simple, as efficient a process that allows us to build where society needs construction to take place. Um, so that, that is that is one, and we can look at, at lots of other places around the world that do it better or that have done it done the wrong thing and we can learn from doing the wrong thing as well. But that's not going to fix everything. Um, I, th- I think we also need to, um, uh, to, to look at best practice in relation to social housing provision. You, and I'm, I'm not picking on you, but you, you, you mentioned earlier, should the state be building? And I think if you asked a lot of people, they would say, yeah, like it's normal that, that the state builds in other countries. It's actually quite rare for the state to build directly in, in, in high-income countries. What they typically do is they have non-profit housing bodies doing the construction. In some cases, that housing body is almost indistinguishable from, say, municipalities like a city council. In lots of countries, it's not. They're kind of arm's length. Um, but that that is definitely something we should do. And to do it well, we need not just the cost rental system we have introduced in the last couple of years. We need uh, that, but with far greater awareness of the difference between an individual circumstances and the costs of construction. So not a fixed cost rent, regardless of what you earn, you'll have to pay this this level of rent in this development. But instead, this is what it costs to build your home. Your income is there and we'll give you a, a top-up. So not HAP, which is like a fixed amount of money, but a top-up based on your individual circumstances. And so in, in terms of actually one of the um, topics you speak a lot on is the rental market in particular. And the government recently announced um, that they plan to scrap the, scrap the build to rent um, kind of planning allowance that that kind of encouraged BTO the long-term 15-year view on those build to rent um, developments. Do you think that's the right decision? The short answer is no. Um, do I give short answers there? That's, 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 the, um, that's the short answer. And I think it's even worse than that because Dublin City Council has indicated that it is in its, its draft development plan that it will only consider kind of um, purpose-built rental where there's some minimum share of owner-occupied as well. So I, I can't remember the fraction off the top of my head, but it might be as much as 50-50. Um, and that that effectively kills the construction of new rental homes. And to me, one of the things I'm I'm, an, I'm a natural born optimist. I'm you know even if we're 25 years into a housing shortage, I still think well, we can get ourselves out of this. One of the things that really confuses me about the housing policy debate is how it is so controversial that in a country that is chronically starved of rental housing has effectively added until the last year or two, no new rental housing for over a decade, even though it needed new rental housing and is actually losing its rental housing, existing rental housing stock, how it could be controversial that the solution to that is to build new rental homes. I don't quite get how we boxed ourselves into that particular corner. Um, Because if you even just take Dublin, uh, Dublin, as of the 2016 census, had about 150,000 rental homes in it. Are people really telling me that if we added 50,000 new rental homes 
that the pressure on the existing 150,000 would be greater or the same? Of course not. The pressure on those 150,000 would be less. So let's add 50 or 70 or 100,000 rental homes in Dublin and the same again in the rest of the country and take the pressure off the existing rental housing stock. But as I say, it, it, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling for someone like me to look at the debate and the way it's gone. It's going in the wrong direction. Okay, so I think actually I have a lot of questions coming in on the uh, on the system. So I'm going to take some of those now just to give people an opportunity to kind of get stuck in. So I think uh, one question here, um, if we need to build over 40,000 homes of some description every year, where can the funding for these come from? Can it all come from government and taxpayer? Where where, do, where can it be funded from? No, and, and when I say the country needs, I'm talking about all types of housing. I'm talking in particular about kind of the three main tenures which are owner-occupied, market rental and social housing. Um, and you could say, well, what's the divide between those? And that, in some sense, that's that's a choice. But given where we are, we're probably going to have a, 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 a... None of those is going to be a trivial part of the solution. We're going to need lots new social um, homes and lots new market rental homes, as well as um, owner-occupied homes. So that means that it's not a case of the taxpayer um, paying for these. Um, now, the taxpayer may decide... Um, say with a with a VAT cut that it will forego some revenue on the one hand in order to get more housing that might be a wise choice um, uh, but in general this is not about the taxpayer solving the problem a lot of the solutions to the housing challenge are actually not on the the, the money side they're on the rules side so the, the government can be a funder but ultimately is also a referee and if the rules are wrong if the system is wrong it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it you're not going to solve the, 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 the problem with the with the rules um, so ultimately, a country that's growing as 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 Ireland is now, and it's you know Ireland is is in the unusual position of uh, it's actually unique in Europe of seeing stronger population growth this century than last century. There's no other country in Europe which is seeing its population growth accelerate. Everywhere else, even the places that are growing reasonably fast, like Sweden and Norway, are growing less fast than they did in the 20th century. So we are the only country that has to deal with faster population growth this century than last century. That puts us in a, in, a, in a relatively tough spot if we need to build lots of new homes. But it means that we're a net borrower country, not a net saver country. So we need to borrow from the rest of the world to fund not just um, housing, but also all the other infrastructure that a growing population needs. The short answer is who's going to fund it? It's going to be savers elsewhere as we borrow from them. So we need to be very careful about anything that, that scares away other people's savings. So if we keep changing the, the rules and keep changing the system, um, that in turn engenders uncertainty. So a rent pressure zone changes um, over the last three years are a good example of that. They were system one and then they went to system two and now they're in system three. And if you're looking from the outside, you're saying, well, hang on a sec, if I, I need to know how much income I'm going to get from this rental block over the next 30 years. And if you keep changing the rules, then how do I know how much I'm going to get? I'm going to, I'm going to withdraw from funding that. I'm not saying we have to pander to every whim of foreign capital. I mean that we need to pick a system that works for us as a country and then stick with it. And I understand that politically that that, that can be difficult yeah. if, you, if you don't see immediate results. So we need some stability there. And actually that actually kind of covers two questions that I have here. One is, what's your opinion on the government's continued knee-jerk legislation kind of responding to political pressures? And also... What's your view on rent caps and do you see any changes coming down the line on those? Um, I've given up trying to guess what they'll do on, on, on rent caps because, as they say, they they've kind of seem to be reacting very short term um, to that. And it's, they're, they're reacting to 
political pressure when, and I, and I get it, but they also need to be aware of what they're actually doing in terms of the conditions into into the future. Um, what should they do? I, I mean, in in general, rent caps are a bit like asking your thermometer not to tell you you have a fever. Right? You're hiding the problem. Um, temporary rent caps might work as you go to build the extra supply that will actually remove the problem in the first place. And um, but we, what happens is they tend to get introduced and then relied on as a permanent solution, not just in Ireland, in other countries, they tend to get relied on as a permanent solution. The absolute key thing about a rent control is that it does not apply across tenancies so that you can give certainty to a tenant when they go in, they know their rent isn't going to go up by more than X, but when they leave voluntarily, that the next person who comes in, it, it, it resets, it's a fresh start. Trying to do the across, well, as we've tried to do in Ireland, is a recipe for killing your rental sector. Yeah. Okay. So a, a, a slight change of direction in terms of is is enough being done for older people's housing? There's a lot of under-occupied property in Ireland. What can we do to kind of trigger that? Yeah, that's a that's a really good um, a really good question because when I and it's possible people listening uh, or watching have, have said, okay, so 60, 45 to sixty thousand homes, and they're picturing estates of sixty thousand homes. Um, but actually, we we have, believe it or not, we have more family homes in this country than we will ever have families. Notwithstanding that we have population growth, we will never have more families than we have current family homes. Um, what we need to build is all the other kinds of housing that we will need for our diverse ways of living now. So if you think about the life cycle in the 1950s, right, um, most people lived with their parents till maybe 2021. They got married, started having kids themselves. And then life expectancy of a male in the 1950s was 65. So you basically, you, you had your parents' family home, your family home, and then you were dead, right? That was it. You only needed semi-Ds or simple. detached. Simple. Now you do the same exercise. We have student accommodation, co-living when you move to a new city. You've got urban core apartments for people who are um, uh, just starting their career. Then you find a partner, but you don't have kids straight away. You're only having kids in your mid-30s. So you've got maybe five, six years where you still want to live with your partner, right? So it's a one or two bed apartment. And um, then you've got the family home. Then you've also got post-family housing going to the the, the particular question. And um, there's regular kind of market downsizer options, which we don't have a huge amount of. Then we've types of housing that we almost never heard of in Ireland. Um, we have independent living which I kind of think of as um, housing for people in their 70s who think they're still in their 60s, right? It's There's no sort of, you know, um, golden years sign over the front. Like these are people who want, they want a great home um, and there's all sorts of social events and so on. And there are very subtle supports um, in the background. And then there's assisted living, which is the sort of, you're, you're in your 80s now and you do need reasonably visible um, medical supports. It's usually in those of somebody coming into your place once a day just to make sure everything's okay and, and then leaving you, leaving you be. I, I saw a planning application for one uh, independent living complex in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. Um, but when you look at the numbers of over 65s, the growth in the population over the next 30 years is going to be concentrated in the over 65 age cohort. What's our plan for housing those? Are we just going to assume or force people to stay in the home that they bought when they were 35? That seems like another recipe for disasters. We really need to get on top of, and that will involve integrating Department of Housing and Department of Health, as well as other um, parts of government. Okay. 
Um, another good question here, actually, in terms of what can be done to increase, maybe maybe you have a view on this, whether this isn't necessary, the appeal of apartment living in Ireland uh, to mitigate stigma around building defects and fire safety issues and management companies and all of that kind of thing, do you think? Yeah, I, my sense is that people are not actually holding back on apartments. That one of the, so with, with the daft reports, we run a sentiment survey. So every month we, it goes out and a few hundred people answer it. And that's been going for almost 10 years now. And when you look back at one of the questions in it, I hadn't actually taken a step back and looked at this question for a while. Um, but it, you ask people, what would they buy? What are they interested in buying? So the one of the questions in the survey is, are you interested in buying? And if so, when? And for those people who answer yes, then there's a follow-up question about where are you interested in buying and what kinds of properties? 50% of people answering that question would consider buying an apartment. There's absolutely no shortage of demand for apartments. What we have is a shortage of supply. And you can see that with the take-up of anything that's built, uh, the, the, anything that's already built or, or, or being completed, there is no problem with take-up. The problem is with the cost. The, as in, if we need new apartments built, not just in Dublin or Cork, but also in Clonmel and Sligo and Kilkenny Town and all these places, right? and it is simply not possible for someone to build an apartment and recoup the maybe 550,000 euro it would cost them for a, for a two-bed because the market is nowhere near that. And I know we were telling about Creekona earlier, and you know that's an incredible viability gap. The, the market value might be 300 or 350,000. And if you're looking for 500, 550,000, that is a gap that the taxpayer shouldn't be asked to, to fill. The VAT may be a way of doing it because you're foregoing something, but actually subsidizing an individual to the, the tune of that, I think, will just not fly politically. Okay. So another question that um, comes up regularly, and I'm sure you've given some thought to, is the central bank have stepped in and relaxed mortgage lending rules a little bit um, in terms of. What what impact do you think that is having in terms of um, the, the the buying market? Yeah, I I think it's um, it wasn't intended this way, from what I can tell. Um, I think it's effectively like partially offsetting the increase in interest rates. Um, interest rates have increased and are increasing um, an incredible amount at the moment. So a fixed rate that might have been two percent as late as last July is now going to be four percent. That's a, that's a doubling of interest rates and they, it may go up further before coming coming down. In that context, a relatively light touch relaxation of the, the lending um, uh, restrictions is only really going to partially offset some of that. It, it, it won't change the individual bank's decision. Right, The individual bank will look at your income and your outgoings uh, and in particular your mortgage is a fraction of your, 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 your outgoings or your income and say, okay, now we've got a 4% interest rate and we have to stress test up to 6%, whereas previously it was 2% and stress test to 4 right? And then after they've done that and they've decided how much they'll lend you, then they'll have a look and go, okay, and that is that, you know, how much relative to the limit will we, will we get you? So I, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's going to have some modest impact offsetting the headwinds that the market is, is, is facing at the moment with higher interest rates. Okay. Can I bring you to um, the Housing Commission and without obviously breaking your cabinet confidentiality there? Um, one of the things that has been on the Housing Commission's agenda is the possibility of a referendum on um, a right to housing um, to be set down in the Constitution. What's your thoughts on that? Well, well obviously, as, a, as a, a Housing Commission member, it's part of our job. Yeah. Right? So um, 
For me, the key thing is, and I, I, I suppose to the extent that it matters, I'm speaking as me, not as a member of the commission, but to me, as um, the, the right to housing in the constitution, I have absolutely no problem with that. It's all about how. And in some sense, the rest of the commission's work is the how, right? We can write it, we can write anything into the constitution. It doesn't make it real. And for me, there's certainly probably like, um, uh, not necessarily, what's not, jurisprudence is not the right word, but there are there are legal implications of, of uh, or Supreme Court implications of how something is phrased. And we want to make sure we get things right. In some sense of the choice, right? Do we want more of a, a Scottish style right to housing, which is really just telling the local authorities, you have a job to do and you've got to make sure these people are housed. It's sort of like looming over them. And, but in, in the sense that from a court proceedings point of view, it's effectively non-existent. Right. All the way through to the other end of the spectrum, there's more of a South African style system where individuals can take a court case and say, I have been failed by the state in my right to housing. Now, that's the choice for us as a country. If we want to put something in, we've got to go somewhere on that spectrum, basically. Um, and that's, I, I won't say anything for that because I don't want to prejudge the, the, the commission's deliberations. But regardless of, of that choice, for me as a, a non-legal person, I'm like, okay, we can put it in, but no matter how we put it in, it comes back to this point of, well, if we don't have a system that works, you're just sort of hitting the state for not doing its job. Okay, maybe, that, maybe, that'll, maybe that'll be the thing that gets the state to figure out how to deliver 60,000 tomes a year but I'm not convinced it will be. Um, it, we, we still need to, we might as well figure it out. So if it were up to me, let's get the the how of doing a healthy housing system and then we can put it into the constitution. Okay. And um, just a, a slightly related point in a way, which is that, you know, I think all of these issues are aired in our weekly news columns and on the airwaves and obviously on the doorsteps with politicians on a regular, regular basis. Is enough being done to educate all of us in terms of what are the real issues here, you know, or do we need a citizens assembly around all of these issues so that the right kinds of policy calls are made? Um, yeah, I, uh, there's something fundamentally undemocratic about saying let's not talk about it for a while. But I do think that um, there's almost like a race to, and it's the nature, it's it's the for all the good that a, um, like a, an open media does, there are always challenges around how that works out in practice. And I think there's almost like a race to make the situation seem even worse than it is. When you look at the the different segments, right, the owner-occupied segment in the housing market in Ireland, it's actually not that bad. right? If you're buying a new home, you will struggle probably to buy somewhere in exactly the location you want, but you'll be probably able to buy a new build if you have an income of 75,000 a year as a couple, as a couple or more, there's significant as help to buy. There's new first homes, um, shared equity scheme. Uh, there's quite a lot of supports. Right? And the number of homes getting built from occupiers is, you know, it has increased over the last seven or eight years. And is that around the right pipeline, given the amount of mortgages that are going to get processed? So that system is not actually functioning that badly. It could be improved, but it's actually not functioning that badly. But I say if you ask people on the street, they would say, oh, you can't get it. Owner-occupiers or would-be owner-occupiers can't get anywhere. First-time buyers aren't being, are being screwed. Whereas actually the people that are being squeezed by our housing system are the renters and the both market and social um, uh, renters. And, and that's a lot. Um, that we, we do need to take a step back and look at the evidence. To give you one example, the 
the research, the, the empirical evidence is unambiguous that if you build more homes, everything else being equal, housing becomes more affordable. And the effect may be small if you only add a, a small number of homes, but certainly there's no evidence that building new homes makes the existing homes more expensive. Some people may even be watching that and going, yeah, of course, right? That, that just makes sense from a, a basic economics thing. Yes, regularly online, I see arguments being made that if we build, for example, new built to rent homes, it'll just pull up the rents in the, in the, in the properties nearby. And that makes no sense. Um, that, is, that is not what is going on. And I do think a citizen's assembly might be a good idea to take, like with the abortion issue, to take some of the heat out and bring some light instead. Okay, well, maybe that's, maybe that's where we leave it today with that optimistic note, Ronan. Thank you so much for a really interesting discussion. We covered a lot of ground there. Thank you so much. Thank you all for joining us this morning. We're going to publish the results of the poll and um, we're also going to recap then just to kind of put a note on uh, we have some, some, some way to go in terms of the planning bill. Um, we have uh, lots to be hopeful, hopefully, around um, what can be done in terms of viability on the construction side. And we'll rest with Roland's enthusiasm for what the Housing Commission and, and what can be done by policymakers to try and solve um, this housing problem. Thank you very much. <laughs>